Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast, and I am your host, Jeremiah Wood. Thank you so much for being here, guys. It's great, great to have you here listening in. Uh, the Trapping Today podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z, B-R-O-S.com. Check out Cots Bros for your trapping supply needs, uh, baits, lures, DVDs, books, uh, traps, uh, all variety of different supplies that you need. Check them out. Uh, they got a great website, great service, excellent guys to do business with, and big supporters of the podcast. And uh, it's been great talking with Kyle here for the past few episodes to uh, kind of get a little bit more uh, inside information on you know what's going on in his head and and where he feels the trapping industry is at. It's been a lot of fun. So thanks, Cots Bros. Uh, and the podcast is also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction Company, where the world comes to buy wild fur. This is an auction company run by trappers, for trappers, and they, they do a lot of work to try to promote wild fur. So uh, we're going to quickly go over the results of the uh, June auction in Helsinki where they sold Lynx, or uh, sorry, they sold Bobcat, Lynx Cat, and Martin. Um Kyle and I reported all the fur price results from uh, from the May auction, except for Martin and Bobcat, because those were being held so that they could sell uh, in Helsinki in conjunction with the Saga Fur uh, Ranch auction. So uh, I think I kind of gave a little preliminary uh, information there that th- it was a tough sale. It didn't go. It didn't go too well. It's just an indicator of the softening market for for Martin Fisher and for Bobcats. Um, there's the high end are still getting some pretty decent prices, but really overall the the averages have been down considerably. So the Martin only sold at 62%. Uh, there were 27,000 offered, and the the top end, the very best 2x to 3x heavy Martin, averaged just under $58. Uh, the one X heavy forty dollars. Uh, the large heavies were twenty five, um, and then the semi heavies were forty one, thirty three, and down to uh, twenty one dollars. Overall, the average for Martin was thirty three dollars. And uh, a couple auctions ago, you know that was that was more in the in the fifty dollar range. So that's that's too bad to see that with Martin. Of course, uh, I mentioned Fisher and in the past and uh, I actually just got a check from from fur harvesters for one of my fisher that sold and it got a measly $23.50 so not a, not a lot of demand for fisher right now that was a 1x uh, large 1-2 uh, light brown fisher so it was a it was a pretty decent fisher that probably you know a year ago uh, that might have got around around 40 to 50 dollars but anyway that's that's just kind of the way it rolls there um the the good news is uh i think these these prices will are have pretty much hit a bottom and i think we'll start to see some improvements here in the coming year uh bobcats uh, were the same way the the western cats overall the cats sold to 55 percent there were a little under 10 under 11,000 offered and the the western cats did average for a little over four hundred dollars so so that was pretty good uh canadian seventy two dollars northern forty 
Central 49 and Southern 34. So some cats moved, 55% um, sold. Those may have been the better cats, or they may have moved a bunch of lower end ones. That, or it could have just been uh, everything across the board. But uh, those, those hopefully we'll see some improvements in the near future. Overall, when we're looking at the the auctions over the past uh, couple of months, really we've we've seen some some improvements relative to where the market has been. So it's still really low market, but I think we're going to slowly crawl out of this. So thanks for Harvesters for sponsoring the podcast and for doing your best to promote wild fur and to get that stuff sold at the best possible price. Uh, we, we do definitely appreciate that. All right, so I have a nice big list of things I want to get to, and I as usual, uh, the list is longer than the the uh, the time we're probably going to have for the podcast. But uh, it's funny because last week when I was recording, I was I was thinking, man, what am I going to talk about tonight? There, you know, I I just didn't have a whole pile of different things going on uh, in the trapping world. And then I this morning I thought, you know, I'm going to just kind of think about this for a little while. And and uh, I made a list, and I was like, wow, okay, I guess <laughs> I guess there is a lot to talk about. And so we're going to rattle through some of this stuff, and we'll see. It may be one episode, it may be two, uh, but either way, there's uh, you know we're in the off season, but there's there's always things going on in the world of trapping, and it, it's such a wide, uh, wide, big, wild, wide world out there, and there's always always something happening. And when you're not trapping, you're oftentimes preparing for trapping uh, or thinking about trapping. The first thing I wanted to do is talk a little bit about the other trapping podcasts that are out there because uh, there have been quite a few podcasts that have been popping up recently. So it's it's one of those deals where podcasting is becoming more and more popular and it's uh, people, people are listening in podcasts, people are loving podcasts from basically just the entire mainstream of society is starting to latch on to podcasts because uh, instead of reading, you can just kind of listen to things and it's very convenient. So I I, I kind of wanted to, to throw these out there and, and give you guys a chance. If you don't already know about these, I want you to know about them so you can listen in. And it's one of those deals where uh, I do not consider other podcasts as competition for what I'm doing here and what we got going on trapping today. Uh, I think back to when I first visited F&T for Harvesters Trading Post website, and I, I started looking at stuff. You know, in F&T now, they're, they're kind of uh, at the top when it comes to trapping supplies. Uh, but I remember reading something. I'm pulling it up right now. They have a, a special, specific tab on their website that says competition. I was like, what is that? It's like under, you know, all the all the types of supplies you can shop for. And then down there, there's something on information. It says competition. Like, what are they talking about? Special trapping competitions or something? And you click on that, and there's a write-up here about competition. It says, there are many fine companies out there that carry supplies and gear to differing extents for trappers, houndsmen, and predator callers. We are happy if you patronize these other fine companies and hope that you also patronize F&T. Absolutely, we want and appreciate your business, but we at F&T clearly know that we should not view all the other companies that carry supplies and gear aimed at the fur harvester as our competition. For all suppliers, our collective competition consists solely of the animal rights industry. In that light, we cheer for the success of other fur harvesting supply brothers and sisters. In that same spirit, 
We hope that you also recognize that you do not have real competition from the ranks of other fur harvesters, be they trappers, houndsmen, or predator callers. We hope that you recognize that the people in these groups are, or should be, your brothers and sisters. We hope that you clearly see that your competition is the animal rights industry. So I think that sums up uh, very succinctly my views on, on other trapping websites, other trapping podcasts. I, I really think that we're all in this together and our, our competition is the non-trapper, the anti-trapper, or in, in a lot of cases, our competition, you've heard me talk with Kyle Kotz in the past a couple episodes ago, our competition is is essentially uh, people not knowing what trapping is and not understanding trapping and being uh, ignorant of trapping or, or just kind of, uh, you know, not really not caring. So our competition is the lack of involvement in active wildlife management in today's society. So we all in, in this game, whether it be websites, lures, uh, podcasts, uh, trapping supplies. Uh, I think uh, I think it, we do well to uh, to you know help each other along and and uh, don't consider each other competition. Treat each other fairly, and uh, I think everybody benefits. And and really, there's no scarcity here. There are all kinds of people out there looking for information. So a few other people starting up podcasts, I think, is a really good thing. And I enjoy listening to them. So we're going to start off, I'm just I'm just going to rattle off a few that are out there right now, and there's probably more that I'm not aware of yet, because it seems like, you know, every so often another one pops up. So the first one is the first one, the original trapping podcast, and that's Trapping Radio. That's Clint Locklear's podcast, and he's been doing it for, um, I, I don't want to say five years, because I think that's uh, underestimate. Uh, he's He has, oh man, I... I got to pull it up here. Uh, he's in the 300s as far as episodes in Trapping Radio. Trapping Radio 2.0, trappingradio2.com, episode 353 was released last night, and he does that once a week. So let's assume, we'll pull up the calculator here, assuming that that's been going on uh, uh for every week for that period, 350, uh, we'll say 52 divided by 52 weeks is uh, six and three quarter years. <laughs> so uh, that thing's been going on for a long time. And, and Clint has been incredible in his consistency, putting out a trapping podcast essentially every Saturday night. And he's also started other podcasts. Uh, so right now he's got two going on. That uh, so twice a week he's putting something out and he's incredibly consistent for that long a period of time. It's just it's amazing, and it's be for that reason it's been very very popular. So it was kind of also something that got me kind of excited about about that listening to Clint. And I, I I'd been wanting to do some sort of podcast thing for a long time because I knew it was it was kind of things were moving that way and I was listening to podcasts from uh, from a bunch of different people in different fields so I wanted to do it and then and then I kind of got really dove deep into all the stuff that he was doing there I was like all right you know this is this is something I got to do um so I did and I I think at the time trapping today that was a year and a half ago I believe and I think trapping today was the second uh 
podcast out there uh, strictly uh, devoted to trapping. Uh, And then we had a few others that started popping up. Uh, Trapping Inc. Scuttlebutt Podcast. That is a podcast put on by uh, Rich and Sandy Mellon. And they have a show called Trapping Inc. TV. They're from Canada, Alberta, Canada. And they travel all over Canada and do a show that airs on TV there in Canada. And it's also available on Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, which I have, uh, you can watch that show for free on the web. So, And, and it's a really well uh produced TV show. They've done other stuff in outdoor, like hunting uh, type of TV shows. So they, they've got a lot of experience there and they do a good job. So that basically is uh, Rich and Sandy getting together in front of a microphone. And sometimes it'll just be them talking. Uh, Sometimes they will, a lot of times, especially recently, they've been having guests uh, from, from different parts of Canada and the U S to, to talk trapping. They put out an episode about every two or three weeks. The next podcast uh, out there is Coyote Trapping School. That's our friend Chris Pope, uh, Coyote Trapping or CoyoteTrappingSchool.com. He's been on the podcast here a while back. And Chris has been doing a podcast. Oh, probably he's got to be, oh, it's got to be over six months now. Um, I think he's probably in the high 20s or low 30s as far as episodes. He does one every week, uh, very consistently, and he talks a lot about uh, methods, uh, different types of, uh, you know, how to get started trapping, a lot of different basics and and uh, things around, you know, what he's taught in his coyote trapping school course. Uh, he's also been interviewing people recently, and that's been neat to listen to. So uh, hearing from trappers from all over the world, he actually had a guy from. I think it was Australia that he interviewed a couple weeks ago. That's Coyote Trapping School podcast. Uh, The next one is a a more recent one. It's called The Trap House, and that is produced by Justin Jett. And he is affiliated with Charlie Mashik at uh, Hoosier Trapper Supply over in Indiana. And uh, Hoosier Trapper Supply has been really active online. they got a YouTube channel where they do a bunch of trapping shows and they have uh they've had a trap charlie's had a trap and supply company for i don't know someone can correct me here but it's got to have been at least 40 30 40 years and uh, justin is charlie's son-in-law and they of course have all kinds of connections in the industry with the work that they do and the conventions they go to so they've been interviewing some pretty neat people recently and uh, that comes out every, I think every two, three weeks, um, it's, uh, you see an episode pop up there. So that's, that's the Trap House podcast. Uh, th- that's, that's it as far as I know for Strictly Trapping podcast. And uh, there are a few others that, that do cover trapping, um, but they also cover other subjects uh, in depth um, as opposed to just trapping. So uh, the Meat Trapper, Tim Roper, does a lot of some trapping stuff, but he talks mainly about survival type topics. Uh, it's not really something that I'm super into, but if you are into uh, survival and preparedness and, uh, y- you know, living off the land and, and uh, being able to survive if things get crazy in the world, uh, that is a great resource. And uh, there's there's other podcasts like, uh, you know, if you listen to Steve Rinella, The Meat Eater, 
He has a, a hunting podcast, but he also talks about fishing and occasionally trapping. And then uh, Tundra Talk out of Alaska, Tyler Friel, does a little bit of trapping. He mostly talks about big game hunting. So those are the trapping podcasts. If You may have listened to and listened to all of them, which is awesome. And if you haven't, I encourage you to check them out. Emails. I have gotten several of them from you guys in the past uh, week or two. Thank you very much for that. I always encourage you to contact me, jrodwood at gmail.com. That's J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. If you just have feedback, hey, I like the podcast, that's cool, that's awesome. Um, if you have topics that you like to hear more about, I would love that. It's always great to hear things because I, I always think like, oh, I get, I get to find something new to talk about. But then I'll get an email from someone that says, uh, can you cover this particular aspect of trapping? I'm like, oh, wow, I guess I did cover that, but it was like six months ago. Maybe I should talk about that again or, or go into more detail. So it helps me kind of helps keep me on my game as far as what I've talked about and haven't and what you guys really want to know. So let me know. Uh, feedback is good. Uh, those reviews on, it's not iTunes anymore, it's uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, but those reviews are awesome as well. It helps p- other people find this show. I'm going to pull that up here and see if we've got um, anything more recent on Apple Podcasts. We've got 78 reviews which is awesome thank you so much guys and uh yeah vince thanks great webcast i trap all the way over in washington state vince actually emailed me and we'll be talking to him hopefully uh soon and uh drives truck for a living this cast is on every time i get in my truck thanks for putting on a great show so thank you guys for doing that. But I just got an email this afternoon from Luke from Montana. He had some questions uh, quite a while back. It was sometime this winter. We were talking about beaver trapping. He actually uh, traps and lives in an area that I lived in for about five years. So uh, it's pretty awesome to uh, to actually have someone listening in from that area. And he had some success. And Luke wanted to send me a few pictures of, of his... Um, his catch from this spring beaver trapping season, which I thought was really awesome. Uh, he says, Hey, Jeremiah Luke here again. I know it's well past the end of our trapping season, but thought I would share a few photos with you from the last two weeks of spring beaver season. The first picture is one in a foothold on a drowning cable. That was the very first foothold drowning set I ever made for beavers and caught it the next day. It was on a dam slide break. The next pick is my son and I with the best trap check. I ended up catching eight beavers in about a 100-yard stretch of the creek. I'd been trying to get on this private chunk of land for about two years, then it finally happened the last two weeks of the season. The landowner was very pleased and opened up the door to more trapping opportunities for me. That is really cool when that happens. It's just awesome. When I set the first trap on this property, I kept thinking about the podcast you did that talked about trapping like a kid. I was making sets that I have never done before, not knowing if it was the correct way to do it or if they would even work, but there was only one way to find out. Thanks for all the helpful tips and tricks in your podcast and your YouTube videos. Keep up the good work. Hope all is well with you. Look forward to chatting again. Uh, That is just, uh, that's great, and it's really encouraging to see someone get out there and actually try stuff like that. That's how we learn. That's how we become better trappers. So thanks very much, Luke. Uh, say hi to Dan Odland if you run into Dan. He's a really awesome guy out there. He's got a ranch, and uh, he's a retired teacher and a, a really 
good writer. If you guys are into outdoor western type uh, books, he talks about hunting. Uh, he does a lot of hunting on horseback. Uh, Dan A A D L A N D, and he writes in the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation uh, magazine. Uh, check out Dan's books. Uh, he's got several of them. The Best of All Seasons is probably my favorite book by Dan. Uh, he was a good friend out there when I lived there. Worked with him quite a bit and trapped on his place. Um, and Chad Eshy, if you run into Chad, he is a great trapper out there. He's all, so much fun to talk to because he's always uh, he he's just so enthusiastic about trapping. Uh, he is um, he's on Trapper Man. What is it? I think his uh, handle is Beartooth Trapper on Trapper Man. Uh, and he sells trapping supplies. Uh, he's at the Montana conventions. And he's making uh, he's making some bait and lure now, I believe. So say hi to those guys if you get a chance. Now, my wife came up from the mailbox today and had a big box f- with my name on it. And I received something very special. So I want to talk to you guys about this. I just mentioned uh, Chris Pope at CoyoteTrappingSchool.com. And uh, Chris has been doing a whole pile of different things. He's got he's 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 really dedicated in this stuff and he does a bunch of videos and he does that that training course and he does the podcast now and he is apparently quite a uh quite a manufacturer um he he does i know he does some leather work but he just made this trapping bag that is pretty slick looking so this thing is called the short liner trapping bag uh from from chris over at coyote trapping school and this is, I think this is going to be, be pretty useful. This is basically a uh, poly, kind of a polyester vinyl coated uh, bag that uh, is pretty much the perfect size for a coyote trapper. Now, if you're like me, when I, so, so I haven't coyote trapped for a few years now. I've been focusing on Martin and Fisher doing some beaver in the wintertime. And I just, that time of year just has not been right for me to trap coyotes. I'm, I'm busy on the farm and I had a kind of two jobs going on at that time of year. I, I dropped one of the jobs uh, so that I could spend more time trapping starting this fall. And I'm really excited about that. So I'm, I'm kind of getting geared up to do a small coyote line starting in mid-October this year. And so I'm, I, I was going to talk about that hopefully tonight if we have time. Um, about kind of getting re-geared up after having spent a lot of time away from coyote trapping uh, and fox trapping. And Chris uh, had contacted me about this bag he was making. He just he just released it, I think, if just a few weeks ago. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to try one of these. So he made them. And, and this thing with, with Chris, he's selling these bags, and he makes them all himself, 100%. He... So all the the seams, the sewing, the cutting, everything is 100% made by Chris, right there in Georgia, and uh, they are I think they're about oh 55 dollars, 55 or 65 dollars, something like that. And the bag, basically, I'm gonna probably do a YouTube video on the bag when I get my get a little bit of time here. Um, but it measures it's like 28 inches long. Uh, 10 inches wide, about 10 inches deep. And the advantage to this is, if you're like me, when I when I was coyote trapping, uh, I I was carrying I carry around two buckets. So I have one bucket with 
all of my uh, it basically it would have my uh, hammer which is my hammer is also my earth digging tool uh, or sod buster we call them uh, my stake driver or my my earth anchor driver several earth anchors um, sometimes a trowel uh, a few three four traps maybe two three traps and a bunch of miscellaneous small stuff and I've used that the bucket thing the little thing that kind of goes around the bucket and has a bunch of pockets as well with to put your trap tags and your J hooks and your S hooks and swivels and other stuff that you might need and then the other bucket it had my dirt my dry dirt and that's how I go into a set and then of course you have uh, where the heck are you gonna put the the lure and the bait and that was always a challenge too sometimes I'd Sometimes I'd have that in uh, on kind of a third small bucket that I'd carry on in one of the hands uh, with the other bucket and have a glove in that that you kind of slip on to, to grab your bait and lure and uh, and use that. Or you're making two trips back you know, from the truck, which is not really that efficient. So the, the thing with this bag is that that bucket, I swear, I swear to you, Every other trap that I would go to, that bucket would tip over, because <laughs> my my uh, my my metal tools, you know, are pretty heavy and they're pretty long, especially that uh, earth anchor driver, and that thing's sticking up out of the bucket quite a ways. The bucket's pretty heavily loaded; it's pretty top heavy. You get it on uneven ground, which almost all of our ground here is uneven. That thing's tipping right over, and your stuff's falling out of it half the time, and it's making a big mess. Uh, so a bag, uh, a bag like this eliminates that problem. The other thing it eliminates is trying to find stuff in the bottom of the bucket because um, when you get a bunch of stuff going on, you go to 20, 30 different sets and you're pulling stuff out and put stuff in, it just becomes a huge mess. So this bag is, I think it's a really good size because it's long enough to hold your longest earth anchor driver or trowel, you know, 30 inches long. Uh, you could put a few, I just stuck a few of my traps in it, um, my sod buster, and uh, so it's got this, it's just basically the, like this big open space in the middle of the bag, it's like 20, what did I say, 28 inches long, 10 inches wide. Uh, it's got two nice handles on the side that you can pick it up by, and now on the inside of the bag, on each end, so there's no pockets on the inside along the long sides, but on each end there's a pocket, and it, as far as what I could see I'd probably use that that pocket to put all my small items that I need that are associated with the traps so so the J hooks the S hooks uh, extra swivel extra trap tags uh, and probably stick in a pair of pliers and and maybe J hook tool that kind of thing in in there now on the outside of the bag uh, one side is completely bare there's nothing there except two D rings the other side has two D-rings sewn in, and it has three pockets. And these pockets are just about that size to put tools or small components. Um, basically, they're just big enough, barely, to kind of slip your hands in into them a little bit. Um, so that that is uh, the trapping bag, as as best as I can can explain it, uh, just by talking with you with no visuals. Um, the D-rings that are sewn onto the outside of this, you got the four D-rings, uh, those are nice. What Chris says is you can use those to put a shoulder strap on the bag. So if you don't want to grab those, 
two handles and carry the bag by hand. Um, it, you can put a shoulder strap on and, and make sure easy carrying. I think he'll make those. I may have to talk to him about getting a shoulder strap because I, I think if you just went from one corner to the opposite corner, um, that'd be pretty slick in, in uh, carrying that thing around if you're, if you're going long distances. Um, now, the only thing that I see that the bag doesn't have that, that I may want to uh, to have on this is I, I got to figure out if there's a way that you could put your lure and bait, kind of attach your lure and bait to this bag without having it come in too much contact with your trapping gear. And I'm, I'm kind of looking at that side of the bag that ha on the outside that has no pockets and it's got two D-rings there. And I'm wondering if maybe you could attach a little something to one of those D-rings. I think I'm going to have to look into that, see if I have anything here, like a small, like a pouch or something that'll hold a couple, uh, maybe like a 16-ounce uh, thing for bait and a couple of lure bottles or something. Uh, maybe and a, maybe a, a pair of rubber gloves you could slip in there. Uh, maybe just kind of clip that onto that D-ring. That might be pretty cool. Uh, but all in all, this this bag looks pretty good. The uh, the that material is thin, and I'm not. I really it looks super rugged the way it's kind of it's all kind of woven together and it's it's uh, that polyester and kind of vinyl on the outside. I think it's gonna hold up just fine, and I'm sure Chris has tested it quite a bit. But it it is a little bit thin, um, so we're gonna put that to the test this fall. The cool thing about this is there's nothing really that's gonna soak up odor. So it's all that same vinyl uh, polyester material. So like it's waterproof. It's not going to soak up any water and it's not going it, to, it's as odor proof as you can get in a bag. And the inside of the bag has uh, two nice drain holes uh, in on one on either side. So if you're like me and you leave your bag in the back of the truck and it starts raining and you kind of forget about it a little bit or it's the end of the day and you're dead tired and you you don't have a garage to pull into and that stays out there, uh, the thing's not going to fill up with water. It's got them drain holes in it. Um, the, the upper part of the bag, one of my most frustrating things is I have I have a kind of a, a tool bag that I use instead of a you know tool box and one thing I hate about that thing is just trying to get into it because the cover, the upper part of it, you know, kind of collapses on itself a lot of times and you're digging around for tools. So this thing is absolutely wide open and it is reinforced with this, uh, this kind of, these metal wire, this, this kind of heavy duty wire stuff that keeps it all open all the way around. So, uh, this thing, I'm liking it, Chris. I think you did a good job with this bag and I'm excited, uh, I'm excited to check to use it, fill it up with stuff and use it on the trap line. That is called the short liner trapping bag. If you Google short liner trapping bag, uh, you're going to find that. And that's on Chris's website at coyotetrappingschool.com. Um, check that out. And uh, you may want to give it a shot. He's even got a video showing a bunch of uh, details and what it looks like and everything. From short liner to long liner, now we're going to talk about a real true legendary long liner trapper, Craig O'Gorman. And actually, speaking of Chris, he did an overview, or a review of Craig O'Gorman's book, Hoofbeats of a Wolfer. That's always been a popular request, um, that that book, people asking about where they can get it, and is it worth the money, and, and everything else. Uh, I Actually, if you Google Hoofbeats of a Wolfer, I did a review on the book on trapping today years and years ago, and that 
still gets a lot of people uh, visiting uh, the site looking for that book and uh, and where they can get it and looking for a review of it. And Chris just did a podcast episode, uh, the entire episode, doing a review on Hoofbeats of a Wolfer. He, he just read through it and, and read through some other updates uh, that came with that book. So uh, check that out, uh, Chris's podcast or Google Hoofbeats of a Wolfer if you're interested. Uh, but Craig is... If if he's he's probably the most well one of the most well known and potentially one of the most controversial figures in the trapping industry, and he is he's absolutely a legend. Um, he he's a Montana predator control trapper, a lure maker. His wife now Dana makes all the lures, uh, uh, but he he developed an incredibly popular line of lures with a dedicated diehard following of of uh, trappers uh, r- really really good trappers across the entire United States and Canada and uh, actually uh, I've mentioned this before but my trapping mentor the guy that taught me how to trap one heck of a coyote trapper and he was uh, he was an O'Gorman guy 100% all the way all his baits and lures came from O'Gorman's he he got every catalog he he was absolutely uh, 100%. Um, all the books, he, he read the books cover to cover. He lent me the books, and then I bought the books, and just uh, the, everything. He was an O'Gorman guy. So uh, tr- I just got my uh, monthly, or my July and August issue of Trapper's World magazine, and, and Craig has written for Trapper's World quite a bit in the past. He took uh, quite a bit of time off and and uh, last month, he did write an article that was in, in last month's uh, issue. And in this month's issue, July and August, there was a special, in the Legend series, there was a special interview with L. Craig O'Gorman that Bill Falkowski did. So I'm not going to read this to you because uh, out of fairness for Trapper's World magazine, I think uh, you ought to, uh, if you don't get the magazine, you ought to probably subscribe to it. It's a really good magazine. Uh, it a lot of people a lot of people subscribe to it and there's a lot of great information in it. Um, I I really really enjoy it. I've written an article in it uh, recently and I'm I'm hopefully you know, going to submit something again here sometime in the next several months. But I do want to cover just a few things I want to read from from this. If you don't know Garmin, I might kind of give you a little bit of an idea of him. He's he's a, he's a, one of those characters that he's just such a hard worker, uh, dedicated hardcore guy doesn't care what anybody thinks about him he says what's on his mind 100 percent and uh, just uh, absolute uh, larger than life character so I'm gonna pick out a few different questions that I'll read to you but it's not even uh, not even uh, maybe maybe it's maybe it's 10 percent of the entire interview that you get from Trappers World magazine so here's one question how many states have you trapped or done predator control in Craig says, I caught my first coyote in 1968 out at Council Bluffs, Iowa. Coyotes were thick there. I sold 14 my first year. And this, Craig, was probably a a young teenager at the time. I lost a lot due to poor traps, too short of a stake, toe catches, sharp jaws, and the victor traps. By 1973, I was running number four Newhouse, which was John Ains' recommended trap, and 3N government recommended trap and was cross-pegging. In 1973, Lloyd Rinke, who had taken lessons from Charles Dobbins, and I trapped eastern Montana on the South Dakota border. 
1974, Ron Hansen, who'd taken lessons from Don Bierman, who in turn had taken lessons from Bill Nelson, and I trapped northeast Montana to the Canadian borderline and North Dakota border. We were running 200 traps. I trapped in western Colorado once, around Delta. I also had a Wyoming license from 1979 to 1988. So those are kind of some of Craig's experiences outside of his home base. But Craig has trapped out of broadest Montana for decades now. He's had unbelievable numbers, hundreds and hundreds of coyotes. Um, I wasn't going to read this part, but I kind of wanted to, uh, I just want to breeze over this real quick so you can understand uh, what he's all about. What were you, what was your biggest year as far as numbers go? He says, one of the best eras for me was 1988, 89, 90, They were good winters, cold, but very little snow. I could get around with the pickup all winter and keep traps going easily. Nobody was trapping as the market crashed. There was lots of prey and lots of predators. Everybody was calling, come and kill them. In 1988, I had one month where I took over 500 fox. In 1990-91, 870 to 930 fox and coyote together for the winter. I ran 540 traps on a nine-day line. It was the most equipment I ever had out. I owned 700 modified number four Montgomery Douglas traps and 300 modified number three Montgomery Douglas traps then before I went to Bridger Traps and now the KO Canine Extreme Coyote Douglas Traps. I will never again have it all fall together like that when coyotes aren't being spotlighted, called, aerial hunted, and trapped, where a coyote never saw a trap or snare before and you have the most effective equipment and do it the right the first time. It's all in how hard you work and how quick you move. So that just gives you an idea what kind of trapper this guy is and why he's a legend. Uh, the, the guy asks... Uh, do you prefer to trap in Montana over any other state? Craig says, Montana is the state. When I first came here, there was no speed limit. Bobcats had a bounty on them in some counties. Open container was legal. No gun rules. Always loaded and ready to go. <laughs> Very few people. Pretty much no rules. Now, we fight and lose on everything as we've been Californicated. If I hadn't, If it hadn't been for the 72-hour trap check, I would have been in Wyoming as I turned down Carbon County's head animal damage control boss job over a trap check. Here's a good one. Do you have any other hobbies besides trapping? Craig says, no hobbies. I never learned to play. I've never had a two-week vacation and just went and played or vacation. Same bleep, different day. <laughs> and then finally... Uh, he says, Craig, you've taken hundreds, if not thousands, of coyotes over the years. Tell us, what does it take to attain those numbers on a consistent basis? He says, I researched in our industry who was for real. I have Bill, Bill Nelson's disdain for counterfeit people. I sat at their feet and asked the questions and listened. I didn't tell them anything as to how I did it. I needed to know how they did it. You need to have the knowledge. You need to have the equipment. You need to have the animals and access to them. You need to have the execution. Talking about it doesn't get the job done. You can't kill them on the internet. I don't know how to turn on a computer and don't care. I can't kill a coyote on the internet, so no interest. <laughs> so uh, you'll have to get Trapper's World for the rest of that interview, but it is just great. Um, gives you an idea why you can't buy O'Gorman's stuff um, most of his stuff online and why he has no website. Um, he, he, uh, he does what he does and, 
and if you don't like it, too bad. But uh, he's an absolutely incredibly accomplished trapper, and he's done a lot in the industry. Um, it's great. It's great to have the opportunity for for him to do an interview like that. Um, someday, uh, I, I know Clint Locklear has mentioned. I'm not even going to think about it. Uh, but I know Clint's mentioned his dream interview would be getting O'Gorman on the microphone, and and uh, if he does, uh, I, I may have mentioned that before. I'd, Clint, I'd I'd probably pay a hundred bucks to listen to that interview. Uh, it would be it'd be something else. Um, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed that a little bit. Um, we've got a, a bunch of different other things to talk about, uh, so I think I'm going to wrap it up for tonight's episode, and I'll get into some of the other stuff uh, prepping for coyote season and some of the different things that I'm going to be looking at doing and getting, uh, as well as uh, maybe we'll dip a little bit into Alaska. i got to read a, a little section of an, an old-school Alaska trapper wilderness trapper book uh, for you that I've been wanting to do for a long time so we'll we'll get into that in the future but thanks again for listening guys I absolutely love having you here the podcast is growing and growing every week Uh, it's amazing to see how how it's growing and it's really rewarding for me to hear you guys uh, give me that feedback and uh, and keep on listening in until next time keep on talking trapping keep on thinking trapping and Uh, Get ready for trapping season. Take care.